amen, amen. Good job, Danny. Thanks, team. Fantastic job. Happy Father's Day. Let me be the, probably the, maybe the last to thank you. Yeah, very good. Last week, we looked at the beginning of the story of Peter and Cornelius, this momentous moment in the history of mission. This was the day when God chose to mark his intention of bringing in the Gentile world. He had already marked his intention in bringing in the people of Africa with the Ethiopian official met by Philip in the desert. He had already indicated his intention of bringing in all of his ancient people, the Jews on the day of Pentecost, from all the four corners of the known world. But now this day was a day when the majority of us who were gathered here signal the day when God said, I'm going to bring that lot in as well. And aren't we glad that he decided to do that? Peter, you'll remember, is prepared by the vision of a sheet being lowered from heaven, all kinds of unclean and unsafe animals are in the sheet. Jesus says, get up, kill and eat. Peter declares his intention to be a pure Jewish man by saying that he's never done anything like that, but the Lord says it three times. In the scripture, it's clear that when something is said two or three times, it's not just for emphasis, but it's to indicate that this is something that God wants done. Just at that moment, the men come from Cornelius. He has received a vision of an angel saying, go and find the man called Peter, and he'll tell you what God wants to say. So he sends a soldier and two servants, and they go and find Peter, and the next day together, they go to Cornelius's house. As he's greeting Peter, he falls to the ground. Peter tells him to get up. He's an ordinary man after all. Cornelius tells the story of his angelic visitation. And Peter continues in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him 
receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So this extraordinary event has taken place, the beginning of the harvest of the Gentiles. And it gives us some clear indications of what it is that's important, essential, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are the essential elements? What are the necessary components? And so often, the way that we address these essential elements is in a propositional form. Rarely in Scripture do you find the writers of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit to operate propositionally. There's a few places, of course. But by and large, the way in which the gospel is presented is as a pattern that becomes a path to life. A pattern. A pattern that you see repeated over and over in the retelling of the good news. The pattern is this, the one that Peter articulates to the gathered crowd in the home of Cornelius. There's a man from Nazareth called Savior King, called Jesus Christ. There's a man called Savior King. And he has come, and beginning in his home region of Galilee, and then among all of the people of the Jews, anointed with God's power, he reveals what a saving king can do. He heals the sick. He delivers the oppressed. The devil is put to flight and the people flock to hear the good news of peace with God and with neighbor. And this man is killed by being hung on a cross. The symbol that, that Peter uses is the symbol of the tree because, of course, in the Old Testament, if you're hung on a tree, you're cursed. And his, his audience is a group of Gentiles who they will have heard over and over again from, the, from their Jewish neighbors that, that they are considered cursed by God because they, unlike the Jews, were not the recipients of the history and the covenants and the blessing and the kindness of Almighty God. Jesus hangs on a tree and receives all of the curse that is rightly apportioned to those who are lost and without God. The curse of the Gentiles is taken upon Savior King. 
because he's their savior and he's their king. And this savior king dies for the alienation, dies for the separation, dies for the tendency towards lostness that every human being holds in their hearts and articulates in their life. Every sinner, all their sin is paid for by the Savior King. And to demonstrate that that true, that truth is true for everyone, that that truth is impossible to hide, that that truth is greater than any other truth, then the greatest enemy of humanity is overcome. Not the enemy of sin, but the enemy of death. And the Savior King stands resplendent and victorious, not only over sin and the devil, but victorious over death. And there were witnesses who saw him alive, witnesses who verified one another's story, witnesses who, who gave their lives with the integrity of their message, 500 in all. Jesus is alive. And all who believe in him will find that the distance between them and God is miraculously closed, that there is no behavior, no past action, no meditated evil that can separate them from the love of God found in the Savior King. Jesus has paid it all. So here's the pattern. But of course, the pattern becomes the path of life. Why does it become the path of life? Because, of course, he is the image of the Father. He is the one that we're called to emulate. He is the one who invites us to follow. And so in following, we're called to imitate. And so we imitate his life. And we receive his calling. And he extends his identity to us. And he says, my kingship, my kingship. Some people call it the kingdom. My kingship is extended to you, embraces you. You stand inside my kingship. And because you stand inside my kingship, you reflect my kingship to the world. You reflect my authority to the world. You reflect my power to the world. And so this pattern becomes a path because the path is following a person. The gospel is a person and his name is Jesus. And we live the gospel life. We live the life of good news to the world because we have been invited 
into the kingship of Jesus. And every so often, people get a glimpse and they say, you look like a queen. You look like a king. You look like the member of a royal family to me. Maybe they bridle at the thought and they, they despise the fact that somehow you have a position with God that they do not have and that they long for. And perhaps in that despising, they choose to oppose you. But perhaps sometimes there are those who are humble enough to see that you're just like them. And so therefore, they can be just like you. They can be part of the royal family too. So there's the pattern, the path, the person. And I guess you know that, most of you, here in-house and online. And if you don't, then my prayer for you today is that by the divine revelation of the all and ever-present spirit. God will speak to you today and that today would be the day of your new birth. Today would be the day when you're born again. Today would be the day when you place your faith in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another part to the gospel Last night, the power came on at our house at 9.30. It had been off for 25 hours. I counted all of them. And, um, and it was really quite unpleasant, to be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, it's a first world problem, but it felt really, you know, rough for me. I was texting people saying, what's it like to live in a developed nation? You know, I was reminded of that book, A World Lit Only by Fire. You know, we've got candles all around the place, hoping the building doesn't burn to the ground. And um, it was a fairly lackluster kind of experience that day. I mean, I really, really wanted to watch the soccer on television. I mean, I really, really wanted to. I really, really wanted to watch the, the new show called Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Because it's, you know, kind of weird and wonderful. And it's the kind of Narnia-esque kind of thing that I like. And until I realized I could watch it on my iPad... I was really grumpy. <laughs> I, um, I checked in with a friend who lives in the neighborhood. Uh, it was only our street. Boy, did I feel blessed. Our street. What do you mean you've got no power? Well, we've got no power. I've got the truck running outside and a cable 
going to my refrigerator so that everything is not lost. Oh, well, it went off for five minutes for us last night. Oh, I'm so glad for you. I checked in with another friend and they said, yeah, yeah, we haven't got any power either. I said, oh, I think there are other people around you that have power. They text back and they said, I've been sitting in the darkness for the last three hours. I just didn't know that the power had come back on again. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it, power? Even when it's available, we don't necessarily access it. Hello? You still with me? Even when it's available, we don't necessarily access it. And so we've received the gospel. We've heard the proclaimed good news again and again. We've believed in the pattern. We've seen the path. We've attempted to follow on the path, setting our eyes upon the person. And every day, it feels like, I mean, I've said it before, pushing water up a hill with a rake. It just feels hard. And people say, well, you've got to persevere. The saints will persevere, and hopefully you're a saint. If you're not, then probably you won't. And so you feel the extra impetus to, okay, I better keep going. And then you look at other people, and they're kind of running around, and they seem to be rejoicing all the time, and you hate them. No, you don't really hate them, but you know what I mean, don't you? You're like, what's going on here? How come they got all the power? Larry Christensen, years and years and years ago, told a story. He called it Salvation Saloon. A saloon in England is a bar, so we had to call it something else. But um, he told this story of a man whose father gave him a car. And um, he loved it. He looked at it. It was beautiful. It was red, shiny, chrome. Nice wheels. And every day you'd see him pushing the car up his street. And he'd get to the end of the street. And he'd get to the other bumper. And then he'd push it back again. And he loved it every day. And people would say to him, nice car. Everything okay? He said, yeah, of course. My dad gave this to me. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's great. It's a beautiful gift that my father gave me. And he he could never quite work out the quizzical look on their eye or the little shake of their head as they walked away, but but usually that would be the way that people greeted that particular witness that he gave. Then one day, a guy came along and said, "Um, do you think I could have a lift? He said, have you any idea how hard it is to push this thing? He said, I I push it every day. And I've built up the muscles. And, and, you know, sometimes it's hard. But, you know, if I get myself in the right position, it's okay. 
And then coming home is, you know, I mean, that's a bit harder. But I, I mean, I don't know whether I'd be able to, I don't know whether I'd be able to give anybody a lift. The guy said, well, have you ever tried maybe switching the engine on? Maybe sitting inside and driving? He said, um, what do you mean? Well, that's what you're supposed to do with cars. What you mean I'm not supposed to just walk up and down and tell people about this beautiful gift? Well, that's a good thing to do. But it's a much better thing to actually reveal what the gift can do. Don't you think? A few years ago, uh, I lived in Sheffield. Sheffield, like the eternal city of Rome, or at least that's what the people from Sheffield say, Sheffield, like the eternal city of Rome, is built on seven hills. And uh, one of the hills is called Crooks. Not Crooks that, you know, steal things, but anyway. It's, it was called Crooks, and that's where we lived. And um, we lived in the Parsons' house. And the Parsons' house in England is either called a vicarage or a rectory because either the vicar or the rector live there. So it's either a vicarage or a rectory, and we used to say it's either a wreckage or a victory. <laughs> and there, in our house, we had a delightful time. We had a nice, kind of old-fashioned-looking house. It wasn't old-fashioned, it was new, but, it, you know, they make everything look old over there. And... Um, that's for my English friends. They'll be smiling right now. And we, we kept our vehicle there. And I'd always wanted a Renault Espace. Now, nobody knows what they are over here because everybody calls them Renaults. Um, but if you're French, then you call them by the proper way of pronunciation, which is Renault. So we wanted a Renault Espace. And the reason we wanted one of those was because it was the very first kind of expression of a people mover. And it was really cool. It looked like, it looked like a moon module. It was really awesome. And it had seats inside that swiveled 360 so that the kids could all face each other on a long trip if they wanted to. And, and it was great. But like Renault's, it broke down all the time. Which is why I don't think they're sold here very much because, you know, people like cars that work. And, um, and so one day, I got into the car and it wasn't working. Now, it wasn't a great shock, but I couldn't tinker with anything, I couldn't fiddle with it, I couldn't shake a wire and make it work. And I checked with somebody and they said, ah, yeah, it, the computer's gone. And I said, it has a computer? Yeah, the whole thing's run by a computer. And I said, oh, well, what have I got to do? They said, well, you have to change the computer. Now, I wasn't particularly well off at the time, and to get your car to be towed somewhere meant that you had to give up one of your children or sell an organ. <laughs> and so I decided that I'd find another way 
to get the vehicle to the dealership. And the dealership was down in the valley. We were on top of the hill. And I said to Sally, I wonder. I swear to you, this is true. I said, I wonder if I got the car running down the driveway. The drive has a kind of tilt on it. Do you think I could get into our street, which seems a bit flat, and do you think I'd be able to turn... What do you think? Do you think I'd be able to get it at the dealership? She said, it's four miles away. I said, yeah, but it's all downhill. She said, what about the traffic lights? Yeah, not thought about the traffic lights. Anyway, I said, I'm going to give it a go. Now, there's no power steering, so that's a whole nother level. And... um, It does have electrics running in the car, so I could get one of the windows down. And so I got my sunglasses on, and I put my arm on the window, and I set off. I just got it round the corner at the driveway. There were no cars coming, thank goodness. Got it round the corner of the driveway, and it was creeping to a halt when I got to the pub at the end of our street and was able to turn right. And as I turned right, the hill increased in its angle and I was able to get going. I got it up to 30 miles an hour. I was overtaking people, they were looking at me. Somebody shouted out, is that an electric car? As I was heading towards the traffic lights, they were red. And so I had to pump the brakes. The brakes don't work, of course. You know, you have to to pump the brakes, and I slowed it down a little bit. Got it just so that I could get it on the green and keep rolling across the road, and then down the hill on the other side. Went past the high school, through the one-way circuit of roads, down onto Ecclesall Road, turned left, rolled down the street and pulled up onto the forecourt of the dealership. And he said, man, your car's quiet. (laughs) I said, yeah, that's why it needs fixing. It has (laughs) no engine. And I thought to myself then, there's got to be an illustration one day. There's got, I mean, I spent all this time in this car rolling down this hill, smiling at people, trying to be cool. And that's the thing, isn't it? You can really put on a great performance as a Christian without power. But you can only roll downhill. You're never going to get the thing to go uphill. And so when difficulties come, when hardship emerges, when relational strife happens in your life, when conflicts or confusions emerge, what are you going to do? You're going to take the line of least resistance every time. Aren't you? 
When Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household. When he was speaking, while he was speaking, he just delivered the line. You can have forgiveness of sins if you have faith in him. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to pour myself out upon all of these Gentiles. I'm going to give them the power to believe. I'm going to give them the power to follow in the path. I'm going to give them the power to praise my name. And they began to speak in tongues, the same sign that was given on the day of Pentecost, the same sign that later in the story will be given when Paul reaches the first outpost of the ends of the earth. They speak in tongues and they praise God. You see, there's a pattern to the gospel. The pattern gives us insight into the person. And as we follow that person, it shows us the path. But we need power. And if you have bowed the knee to Savior King, if you bowed the knee to the Savior of your life and the King of your world, then you are a believer and you have been born again and the Holy Spirit has given you a new life. But the lights are still not on so often because we've never lived into the power of the resurrection. We've not lived into the power that is available to us. And the best that we can do is to take the line of least resistance and go with the flow of everybody else. And hopefully there'll be enough people around who, who've got the right kind of flow. But who knows? And so there is a pattern to the gospel. There is a person who is the gospel. There is a path that articulates a life of living out the gospel. But there is a power that we need. There is a power that we need to live daily the Christian life. To overcome the battles, the difficulties, the challenges, the temptations. We need power. Peter sees that the Holy Spirit has come in power upon his audience and then says, what is to stop them from being baptized? Incidentally, if you've not been baptized and have not made that personal response to the pattern, the path, the person, and the power of the gospel, then make that personal response. Make this story your own. I don't mind where you do it. Gary's good at the little Miami. He's got that one kind of stitched up. 
Some people have got a pool in their backyard. I've heard of people in jacuzzis and all kinds. I mean, who knows? I think we use some kind of birthing pool here. I think it is. I think it's a birthing pool. Which is kind of good imagery, but personally, I think it needs to be deeper. I want to get everybody under. But if you've not, um, if you've not made that personal response, then, then just do it. Just go ahead. Speak to Chad after the service and we'll just get rolling. We'll do it today. I don't mind. And if you lead people to Christ over the summer, somebody comes a Christian on July the 4th in your backyard whilst you're eating burgers, find some water quick. Don't do this thing where you're like, oh, I think maybe in six months' time. Don't do that. Get them baptized. Get on with it. It's what they did in the New Testament. I don't think we're better than them. But for today... The message is this, there is power for you to live the Christian life. And that power is available, and that power is free, and that power is accessible, and that power is needed, and that power is longed for in your life. You've longed for the power but you wonder whether you're allowed to because of maybe denominational differences or, or stylistic differences or maybe you've seen the gift presented in such a way that you find it repellent. But don't ever reject a gift because of the wrapping that someone's put on it. That would be the depth of foolishness. No, rather, choose today to flip the switch, to have the lights come on, to have the engine fire, and live the life of an empowered believer. I've got 30 seconds, the clock says. 27 now. Gosh. I don't know whether I've got long enough to make the appeal. So, you know what it is. The band are going to come back. They're going to play for us. They're going to pray for us. Have you been released into the power that God has for you? Have you bowed the knee to Savior King? To Jesus Christ, Jesus Savior, Christ King. Are you today in need of the power to live the life that you've chosen and yet find yourself so frustrated at times and incapable of living? Is today a day when your natural tendencies to be diffident and private are overcome by the call of humility? 
that speaks to your heart and says, today, I'm going to put aside those feelings of diffidence. I'm going to put aside those needs for privacy. And I'm going to ask that some believers stand with me to pray for the release of the Spirit who lives within me because he has given me new life. And I want to live in his gifts and in his graces and with all of the power of the ministry that he is wanting to release to me today. And if this is the day when there is a fresh release, when there is a new release, when, when those memories of the past, when you felt so empowered, become reality again, then today, come. Come and surrender afresh. Come today. And be filled anew. The scriptures say this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not occasionally, but continuously. Not once, but often. And for those of us who hear this message and know that it's for us, I'd invite you now just to come. Come.